All right, we are finishing up chapter 20, uh, 20 of John, and this won't take too long to finish this bit because I've discussed this in sermons before, and that's about uh, Thomas in verse 24. Remember, Jesus has appeared to his disciples through the locked door, said, peace be unto you, which was an amazing thing. Thomas, also known as Didymus, in other words, the twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, there are people that refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas. Stop it. All of them were doubting until they saw Jesus. All of them were doubting until his miraculous move through the door. All of them didn't believe the women who said he was risen. The only reason they believed is because Jesus showed up, again miraculously, said peace and breathed upon them so they received the Spirit. Why wasn't Thomas involved? I actually heard a sermon and this sermon got printed in a sermon book for young ministers to use. Uh, if you don't know that, back in the day, there used to be sermon outline books. And you would buy sermon outline books so that you would look and see how the sermon was constructed and you could preach it. Uh, in fact, many did, word for word. Uh, I've heard Hardeman Tabernacle sermons done in little churches. And I'm going, buddy, you didn't write that. But uh, anyway, that's uh, what, what, can we help you find something, Paul? No, he works so hard here. We got to do something. Oh, okay. By the way, I saw that Jared did your gig with the communion today. I'm, I'll, I'll talk to him. All right. Anyway, um, Thomas was out because he was the only one brave enough to go get food for the disciples. We know that in other gospels. He went out to get food for them. They were scared. They were hiding. They were not where Jesus told them to be, which is out in Galilee. They had locked themselves down, afraid to make the journey, afraid to go get any food. Thomas went out for that. So give Thomas some credit here for that. Plus, watch this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. That would have been uncomfortable. Where are they? They're still locked in there. Thomas was with them. Oh, I wanted to tell you, I heard a sermon. That's where I was, got off of it. The sermon was the first Sunday night service. And it was about where Jesus came in to see the apostles. And it really took Thomas to task because Thomas missed the Sunday night service and that showed a lack of faith and that's why he didn't believe. And the whole thing was to attack people who didn't come to Sunday night services. And I'm thinking, wow, you get a medal for missing the point. It, it would be hard to miss more than that missed. My goodness. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So once again, and said, peace be with you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus said to him, my Lord and my God, who was the first one to acknowledge him among the disciples as Lord and God after the resurrection? Thomas, the brave one. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to phrase this right. I'm just having a difficult time phrasing it. 
So uh, forgive me for the clumsiness. Jesus is more impressed by you than by his disciples because they got to walk with him. They saw him before and after. They went through all that. We have to believe in a story. I, um, a couple of people have asked about the article. Um, I, I have it. I just forgot to have it printed. I'll get that to you about truth. But when I wrote the atheist uh, magazine that had it, and I, I, talk, you know, I was very open. I said, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church in Middle Tennessee. I'm a scientist, but I'm a believer. I said, I chose that story. They respected that comment very much. It was one of the nicest emails back I have ever received, uh, acknowledging that we are different, but we have chosen different stories, but, and then went on. Uh, zero attack or whatever, and I really appreciated it. Sometimes you have to pick your story. You've you got to pick a story and go with it. Uh, you will find children that are abused or hurt or neglected picking a story. And sometimes it is of their abuse and neglect, and that becomes their story, and that's, that's pretty much all they talk about, and that's not a criticism. They chose that story. Others choose other stories. You've got to figure out who you are in life, and that's, that's a struggle. It's a, it's a great struggle. Well, here, we've chosen our story, and Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, and he was talking about you. That's amazing. And I love this little tag. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It sounds like he's done but now we have another chapter. So there are those who believe that someone else added the chapter after this tag. When you hear things like this, do not be troubled. God did not say he could only use one writer per book, ever. God did not say that if John didn't write it, it can't be in John. It's rather like John 4. There are stories that were so important to the early Christians, they made sure they got in the scripture. And the way it's done, I mean, the editors of the first five books of the Bible, uh, we can argue all day long, well, I won't, but people argue all day long about how many editors and whether there was one. I'm just saying, you know, God can work through a group too. He can put our story together any way he wants to. Never anywhere did he say, for example, Moses and only Moses wrote every word in these five books. He didn't say that. Let God be God. Let the community help. So, um, here we go. We got, we got another story. It seems familiar, but there's a reason for that. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Hallelujah, they finally went. They finally got the nerve to get out of town and go where they were supposed to be. It happened this way. I love that start of a story, don't you? Now, here's what happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, we got that by now, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? I love that phrasing because that's British. 
Americans would say, caught anything? Haven't any luck? No American has ever said, haven't you any? That's wonderful. Dean Barnum, uh, yesterday, the, um, Renee and Kevin wrote the entire ceremony and said, we want you to read it. And I'd not had that happen before, but I thought that was brilliant. And they wrote a beautiful one if you were here. It was absolutely beautiful. Well, there was uh, one word in there, and he said, my, my word processor has a squiggly under it. It says tenderest. And I wanted to put more tender or most tender instead. And I said, uh, in British English, tenderest works. And we have words there like you say spelled, it's spilt with a T. And so it's, it's our, I said, go to the OED, and I didn't even tell him what that meant, Oxford English Dictionary, and look it up and you'll see the variations that are all English. Well, this phrase just is so great. This is why I think that in every movie, Jesus has a British accent. Have you noticed this? Um, or the, uh, if not, the bad guys always have a British accent, which concerns me a little, but it's English, so I'm all right with that. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, I want you, we, we miss this. We miss this. Why would he know? If you remember early on, he'd done this. Put your net over there. They couldn't even haul it. Would have, it would have sunk their boats if they tried to pull it in. Remember that? So I see them there. You know, where's a good spot? You know, fishermen are always about a spot. Oh, that's my spot. I got a great spot. I marked it. I put an X in a boat, so we'll know where it is next time. You know, and you go, and, and they say, well, where's it? He's saying, just on the other side, on the other side. So they throw the net over, and you might be thinking, why would they take advice from somebody? Have you ever been around fishermen? They'll buy anything. They'll, they'll buy any gadget or whatever to, that'll help them. And if somebody goes, I saw a fish there, they'll go for it. Throw it over start to pull it in, they can't even pull it in, and I can see them looking at each other and going, it's him. It's funny. He did it for this reason. To, he didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus. He's playing with them. And that's cool. That is exceptionally cool. So, all right. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off. All right, literally, it says he put his clothes on for he was naked. Now, the word naked in Scripture does not always mean without clothes. It can very often mean just in your underwear. But still, be aware, clothes were a very valuable thing. Isn't it interesting? He put on his clothes to swim because he's going to need them on shore. But to protect his clothes when he's fishing, takes them off. It's a different world. The other disciples followed in the boat. <laughs> I love this. I mean, that's, that's Peter. Oh, it's him. Peter, Peter, we have a boat. We can get there. Well, they come in towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. 90 meters is, is pretty much what the measurement would have been. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus already had fish. Where did he get the fish? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I can remember back in the day um, going to school, University of Alabama in Birmingham, and I did, um, and uh, went there for a program, and talking to guys that washed, watched, I went to a house, I went to a house, and the guy was watching fishing shows. Okay. Not sure why. 
And later in my life, whenever VHS arrived, people were taping them. I'm like, seriously? You're taping them? Oh, yeah, yeah. You saved them? Oh, yeah. Okay, fair. I guess the paint dry channel hasn't shown up yet. I, I'm not, my, my father-in-law is an avid fisherman, and I'm not allowed to go anymore. Seriously. You talk to Cammie about it. Because I kept taking a book think, and praying that the fish would leave me alone. And I wasn't in, in the, you know, he would, he'd get down the middle of a river with these waders on, and I'm going, no, no, those are for baptizing. You, that's not acceptable. <laughs> Jesus already has fish. I find that also amusing. And some bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It's, it's, it's like, okay, and Peter, you have a team. Wait for the, no, okay, here he comes. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I want to, I want you to think about this. Jesus, after they ran, after it took weeks for them to do what Jesus told them to do repeatedly, he made them breakfast. When Jesus says, peace be unto you, as he does all the time, he means it. God's not mad at you. Now, I love, uh, there's a, a prayer in the Episcopalian and also the Anglican tradition that, um, and I'm not going to quote it properly, but it has a line in it, which I love the line, and it talks about we have done things which should have been left undone, and we have not done those things that should have been done. And I love that because that's, that's pretty much what we're like, isn't it? We do that. That's our sin. Omission and commission. Uh, but there's, no, there's nothing in there. We are worms. We are not worthy of you. There's none of that in the prayer. And I really appreciate that. Because it's an acknowledgement that Jesus has declared peace with us. He's working with us. He's not looking for perfect, perfection. He's looking for love. And he's also looking to see family resemblance in you. Remember we talked from this morning. I had another 15 minutes. Poor Laurie Lee. I was all over the notes. She's probably laying down with an aspirin right now. <laughs> an aspirin. I bet she takes, puts them in a Pez container working with me. Anyway, um, I had so much more to talk about on this because to me this is all fascinating that we're alive. Every ancestor we've ever had survived. That's just staggering when you start working that back through. But anyway, here's Jesus. It's all right. Peace. But I breathed into you. I'd like to see some family resemblance. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And again, he's in a body that has gone through hell backwards. Even though it is alive, it's a different kind of body because he could eat and drink, you could touch him, but he could come through a door. It's a different kind of body. But it's still a beaten up body, scarred body. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, did the same with the fish, now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he's raised from the dead. After they'd finished eating, and here we get into the launch of a thousand sermons. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And we're going to stop right here. Was he picking on Peter? 
there, there are many who say since Peter betrayed him that Jesus was given him. But the Bible says that they met privately and that meeting is not described in any way, shape, or form. It does not sound like Jesus to have somebody um, or to have him needle and dig at somebody. That just doesn't sound like Jesus. I think he's getting Peter ready for the next thing in his life, the next stage. But we'll look. He said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Let's stop for a second. There, there's an old Scottish joke. Of course, it's a joke. Um, but uh, that says a, a woman looks over at her husband and she, and she says, Angus, do you love me? And he's going, oh, wait, wait, woman. And she goes, no, Angus, do you love me? And she pesters him. And he finally says, I married you 30 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Well, sometimes we don't know how to respond to this. Do you love me? Here's the thing. And I, this, is, this is not where we're going. This is just a step on the way. Let's say that Cammie has asked me to do something, and I, I, I forgot. I never happened, but it could. <laughs> Let's say even directly, she says, Patrick, would you take the trash out? Because uh, we, we have like a 20-second availability uh, for the trash thing. You've got to get it out there just right. And it's too early, too late. The HOA you know, puts on sackcloth and ashes. It's, it's a horrible thing. She goes, uh, would you take the trash out? And I go, yeah, sure I will. And I'm still sitting there in an hour. Patrick, did you take the trash out? Oh, I'm, I'm on that. I'm on that. So like, a, like an eagle on a mouse, I'm on that thing. So I am. And she comes back and, and says, Patrick, will you take? Jesus requires love to be shown, to have an action, to move. Not to be a, a love in words only. How many times in the Old Testament did Jesus say, and, and by the way, I said God say, but Jesus even says it in the New, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So where, where, where is this? Where, we're going to talk a bit about that in the next two Sundays, Lord willing, when we talk about the thin place of song. Uh, that, that one is a tough sermon to work on, frankly, because uh, there's so much material, and uh, it's interesting how that works. Anyway, we sing a good game. Do you know what I mean when I say a good game? You've heard people saying they talk a good game, all right? We sing a good game. I am embarrassed anytime we sing, and we don't do it often, sweet hour of prayer. Because I don't, you know, cumulative over several days, perhaps. But I'm, I, I, and with Albert, that's lunch. You know, it's, it's, a, different, it's a different thing. Some of the songs we sing, I mean, did you, today, that Chris Tomlin one, I'd never heard it before, but evidently I'm listening to different radio stations than you are, because you jumped right in there, and it says, speak the truth, you know, I love you, but God speak truth to me. You're asking God to say, I don't think you really love me because of this, look at this, look at, and I, I was going, do we realize what we're saying? What we're asking God to do? is to step up and show us where we're wrong. 
I've never gone up to Cammie and said, could you point out my faults? No. I want her to tell me I'm perfect in every way. And I'll know it's not true, but I appreciate the lie. And, and that's the way people stay married and happy, right? We just, we move on here. We're not pointing out the faults. There are some marriage retreats that actually ask you to write down what annoys you about the partner. Do not fall for this. This is a trap. Take your paper, make it into an airplane, and fly it out the window, then go out the window to get it. I don't understand why people do this. Jesus is not trying to point out his faults. <coughs> He's merely trying to get him to understand that there's going to be action. Now, the sermons that are launched are on lambs versus sheep versus and this versus it. And I've heard so many different takes on this. I'm not sure how much theological weight we should put on this. I am willing to be wrong on this. I'm just thinking, if you love God, it's kind of like Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. I want you to notice something. This would be a great, if, you, if your Sunday night groups have not paused for the summer, or if you just need a devotional this week, this is a good one. Go to Hebrews 11, and notice what happens every time the phrase, by faith, is used. It's followed by a verb. It's followed by a verb. Now, we're not saved by works. But we do certain works because we're saved. It's a sign of God in us. Peter, you're going to have to, you're going to have to buck up because look what's coming. Very, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you, not, you do not want to go. Jesus said, to said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, let's talk about this. First of all, it's, a, it's fascinating, the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. We look upon death as losing, right? In fact, up until about 20 years ago, it was really, really hard to get doctors to put people in hospice because that was admitting they were, they were failing. There were no classes uh, 25 years ago in medical school to help them help people in that stage. And, the, and so, in fact, what do we say? We lost him. It, we, it's a loss. Well, it is a loss to humanity, and I get that. But the doctors eventually learned we're going to have to help them. And it's, we didn't lose. In fact... Uh, Bernie Siegel, an MD that wrote several uh, bestsellers in the 80s, said that one doctor couldn't even put died on the certificate, uh, or on the patient records, not the death certificate, and wrote, let me see if I can remember this, they failed, the, the patient failed to fulfill their life potential. Now I'm hoping only one doctor in the history of all time had that awkward phrase. And, and, but it was, I can't even say death. The Bible talks about how beautiful to the Lord is the death of his saints. Think of that. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the next two weeks because one of the last things we remember in our brain before it goes away are songs. It's fascinating. Uh, Alzheimer's patients can very often sing songs 
when they can't do anything else. Those things stick in us. There are neurological reasons for that too, but we're not doing that right now. We, I've seen people on their deathbed so, quoting scripture and singing songs. They glorify God. They glorify God by the way they die then. But here's the thing. Someone else will dress you and they're going to, Peter, are you ready for this? If you love me, I got to tell you, there are consequences to loving Jesus. Are you ready for this? Now, in America, I don't think we get this because we have people that when Target won't let the Salvation Army bell ringers out on Christmas cry, we're being persecuted. No, you're not. And when a person at Dollar General or wherever says, season's greetings or happy holidays, you're not being persecuted. When somebody in class says anybody who believes in creation's an idiot, you're not being persecuted. They're just saying what they believe. You don't have to believe it. It's when your children are hauled off and kept from you, and it's when you are beaten in the public square. Then we can talk about persecution. I don't think we understand the cost of belief in most places in the world. The cost of belief is... Um, amazing. I talked to, um, when we were in Colorado, we had some people that went to China to do, to teach English as, uh, as a second language to them. And I'd done a, a sermon on um, the persecuted people in Rome and how they would go down into the catacombs to worship so that they could not be heard. And I didn't, I was not aware of this. These teachers said, um, in China today, when we meet in homes, they will, they will name a song and everybody will sit there and they'll move their lips but no sound because if they are heard, the police come. To this day, uh, we need to, need to back off on the persecution talk. How did Peter die? Um, by the way, it's not 100% history, but it's close enough. How did Peter die? Crucified upside down most likely on an X-style cross. There are a variety of crosses. <clears throat> Why upside down? The story is, and again, we don't have an eyewitness, but we have some really early witnesses. And so I'm going to call it history. And by the way, this is the first time he'd been to Rome. Peter did not start the church in Rome. Neither did Paul. We don't know who did. But when Peter was taken, he was taken as a prisoner. They... Uh, we're going to crucify him. And again, he hadn't committed a crime. It was just against the peace and dignity of the state, as we talked about uh, in the last couple of weeks. He said that he did not deserve to die in the manner of his Lord because he was not, wor he was not worthy of dying that way uh, and told them to crucify him upside down. And the, the story is that they did. Um, and that's that X. If you take a look on... Um, Catholics, I, I don't know if bishops do this, certainly cardinals and the Pope, when they have that mitre up there, there is an X on it. And many people think that X is for Christ because you've heard that Xmas and the X, and you've heard all those stories. It actually comes from being a remembrance of Peter. There's supposed to be Peter on earth, the voice of Peter uh, in his place. And so that's what that's there for. That's not alone. Uh, there's a, they, the tradition was that St. Andrew, or the Apostle Andrew, was also killed on an X cross. 
And so the national flag of Scotland, because he's the patron saint, is a white X on a blue field. So you'll see these about, and that's the why. Peter turned and saw that the disciple, I love this bit, whom Jesus loved, whether it was John or Luke, this is the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper, that's why I think it's John, and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? (laughs) Don't you love Peter? I love Peter, because I have more in common with Peter than I do with any thoughtful, reasonable individual. I really do. Uh, because I have, I have run into things I should have stood back and looked at first. I've said things that I should not have said. You want to talk about living on the edge. You have a job where everything you say is recorded, broadcast, and kept for all time. I got an email today from somebody who's listened to my sermons I did in Rochester. That's a decade plus ago. What if I changed my mind? You know, there should be a sell-by date where they self-destruct, but no. I've said so many stupid things and done so many stupid things that I identify with Peter. And I cannot help but think I would do what Peter just did here, but I would do it more subtly. For example, what would happen if I went to doctor saying I'm not feeling well, they did a scan and I've got cancer. What do people do? One of the first things they do is why me? Why not him? Why not them? I've been with people that that eventually died with lung cancer who never smoked in their life and had nobody in their family that smoked. And then you're looking over here at somebody who's smoked all of their life and they're 90 still smoking. And you're going, well, why? So we we do this too. We just do it more subtly. This is... What about him? Jesus, a little sharp answer. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Okay. That, that's pretty firm. I, I think I got that one. Here's the deal. In giftings, everybody gets at least one gift of the Spirit from God. Nobody gets them all. We need the community. Just like Adams, we need to work together form something greater than ourselves. One of the easiest things to do in the world is to be upset that somebody else got a gift that you wanted. You know, I, I'm so, I was so grateful whenever Kara and Josh, they, had, they have three boys, <clears throat> and I kept thinking, what happens if they get a kid that doesn't like sports? It's going to be difficult. Well, all of them like sports. I'm going, because it can be difficult. Have you seen parents go, no, they wouldn't, but parents going insane on the side of a field because their kid is not as interested in the game as they are? My my son played baseball in the Attention Deficit Disorder League. A shiny rapper blow across the infield. You've lost the attention of everybody on the field at this stage. Now they're going to meet somewhere, talk about the rapper, and what kind of snow cone they're going to get after. Parents are having a a seizure. People have different gifts. Love the gift you've got. You know, I, I wanted a different voice. I wanted a different body. I wanted it all. I'm hoping that I get that in heaven. And you look over and see this heavily muscled bronze guy, and, and I'm going to go, it's me. But I'll do it with a lower voice, kind of an FM announcer voice. 
I may have to have a name tag, but the point is, I didn't, I didn't get the, the gifts I wanted. Did you? But we got other gift. God didn't say to Moses, what would you do for me if you could do anything you could? He said to Moses, what is in your hand? What do you got? I never saw a MacGyver, but evidently MacGyver could make anything out of anything. And that was the whole deal of it. Um, and do it while wearing a mullet, which I find just quite impressive, frankly. Because most people wearing mullets I, that I've seen really aren't the engineer type. But that's me being prejudiced. But every now and then I talk to God, and God has to say what Jesus said in verse 22 to me. Because I catch myself complaining about my lack of ability. Shall I just lay it out there? Um, some of you, you know, go to Africa, go to South America. Those days are gone for me because I have to have medications to, to be this handsome and strong and virile. I, uh, there are limitations. I cannot, uh, I cannot lay on, on the ground anymore. I can't do that. That frustrates me because I want to go everywhere. I want to see everything. And sometimes I'll end up complaining to God about that. And I'll hear back, what's that to you? If I want to give them a gift and, I, and you don't get to go see it, what's that to you? So I ask him, okay, fair enough. But in heaven, can I have a flyby so I can see it? I, he hasn't said. No promises. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said to him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Stop right here because here we need to talk about why this extra bet was tacked on to John. Everybody thought Jesus was coming right back. John became the oldest and the only surviving apostle. In his 90s, he still said things at church, very briefly, but he would still be active. Um, you know when he died, and that was the last connection, that there were a lot of people thinking, it didn't work. It's not going to happen. Because they assumed Jesus was going to come back while an apostle was alive. He didn't say that. So this has to be written down there for people to say. I don't know if Polycarp put that in there. Is there a theory, Albert, on that? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it is extreme. There are people who believe Jesus did come back in 1970. 1970, 70, 1970 was a little foggy for me. Um, just out of the 60s, it hadn't cleared the bloodstream. Uh, in 70 AD, um, what was it, the spirit of prophecy? I'm trying to remember the guy that wrote that. Um, was it? What? Max R. King. Yeah, Max King wrote that. Um, and there are people who, who weave this whole theology out of it. If you're thinking, oh, I need to read that book. No, you don't. It, it's really, it's a complete, uh, a text without a context is a pretext. And they pull all the text out they can to weave their argument. And uh, no, it, if you want to read it, read it, but it's not going to help you. Um, here's the point. 
there were people who were just sure it was any day now. And when you lost the last connection, now all you had was the stories. And they were terrified. Yes, sir. That is extremely well phrased, and we've got just a few more verses to go, but that'll be next week. Can you help me remember? Because we need to start with that, all right? Need to start with that next week. We are 